Welcome to Paradigm Shift, the podcast about the intersection of business and law. By changing yourself, you can change your business. Now, here's your host, Christina Martini. Welcome to Paradigm Shift. My name is Christina Martini, and I am your host as we explore the intersection of business and law. Today, we are going to be welcoming back one of our guests from earlier this year who spoke with us about how to achieve peak performance and fulfillment in our personal and professional lives. Today, she will be joining me to talk about the importance of resilience. It's my pleasure to welcome Jeanette Bronet back to the show. Jeanette helps leaders and companies rethink performance by asking the right why so that they can lead themselves and their people better and achieve sustainable success. She is passionate about how we can create a culture of care by unlocking what truly drives performance, engagement, and motivation from the inside out. For 15 years, she has coached clients and delivered speeches about how physical health and emotional, social, and mental well-being affect our performance and prevent stress and burnout. She shows how our mindset affects our self-care habits at work and at home and believes that when we leave our humanity at the door when we go to work, we leave behind our most valuable resource for success. She incorporates her background in integrative nutrition, mindfulness, and hypnotherapy to help people work better by working healthy. She believes that a culture of care drives happy performance and that investing in people's health at work is the most important foundation for sustainable success both personal and organizational. Jeanette, welcome back to Paradigm Shift. Thank you so much for having me here again. I am looking so much forward to our conversation. As am I. So for those of our listeners who may not have tuned into our first interview a few months ago, can you tell us a bit about yourself both professionally and personally? I sure can. I started Path for Life in 2004 when I realized that burning out from stress and overload in the fashion business was not what I wanted to continue to do. And also my parents had just passed away from cancer only a year apart. So I really thought it was time to rethink how I was living my life, the work I was doing, and the kind of uh, difference I potentially could make in the world with a different kind of perspective that I had learned from my own process of not only working under so much high stress, but also going through this trauma. And I decided that Path for Life was a way of getting to know ourselves better. It was a way of learning what our bodies need, what we need emotionally and mentally to be at our best every single day. And for the past 15 years, basically, or 18 years by now almost, isn't it? I have been helping people and working with companies and leaders really change the way they take care of themselves at work, change their mindset about what it means to practice self-care as part of our work schedule, and really look at how can we perform at our best without burning out and really master our stress and finding more resilience by knowing ourselves better. So when you look at the experiences you had, I mean, it was just, I I feel so terribly that you had to experience such profound losses so close in time to each other. And you look also at the stress that you had from your prior career. 
just for the benefit of our listeners, what were some of the things that you were noticing were happening to yourself when you were under that kind of stress and grief? I love that question. I think what happened to me was that I kept asking more questions. Like I kept really wondering, what is it that that would help me here? What is it that I need? How can I get further along? Where I realized when I was going through grief therapy that the questions were a lot about why something had happened. And I realized that's not a way to deal with trauma or grief in the sense, at least not for me, because I really needed to understand how to cope with it and how to deal with it not why it happened. And I think so often in our lives, we get stuck in the mindset of resisting what's going on with us rather than figuring out what we need so that we can move through it. And I felt that when I created Path for Life, it was really based on wanting more health in, in the world, so to speak, in my world, in the people I worked with. But it was also the idea that mindfulness was such an important part of, of um, change. And I think that was what I could really see I needed so much at that point was that self-awareness that allowed me to change my outlook that was so, so important. And, and when I do, I do now uh, public speaking as well. I do workshop for corporate and I see how when we are dealing with our daily lives and the stress of our daily lives, it's so easy to get stuck in a mindset that's not working. And, you know, we're going to talk about resilience and focus our discussion on it in, in a moment. But I wanted to just ask you, because of what you just said, do you find that your life's work and your mission is a bit easier now in some ways, just because there's so much more awareness about mindfulness and things like self-care and resilience? Yes, I do. Because when I started talking about it back in 2004, it, it was certainly a misunderstanding that it had to do with something that was more almost like religious in a sense, because spirituality was seen as religion rather than, rather than a way that we use our mindset. And Buddhism, which is what I studied back then, was really always considered a teaching and an education and a, and a mindset rather than a religion or some kind of spirituality. And so I really studied it from the perspective of training my mind and coming into right relationship with myself rather than it being sort of like a departure from, from being real. Because a lot of times I think people think of mindfulness as peaceful and it can actually be quite laborious and it can be quite challenging to be mindful actually rather than just oh this this peaceful thing that you sit and do when you meditate it's kind of not well it is a mindset and when life happens right there's ups and there's downs and i guess that's when mindfulness can become pretty challenging when you're in the throes of something difficult yes very much so and I, and i think that's exactly what the whole point is isn't it that when we're in the throes of something difficult how can we look at ourselves and our relationship with ourselves and really not get stuck in what we sometimes get stuck in, which is all these unproductive questions, as I call them. Right, exactly. So with that sort of segue, we are going to take a look now at resilience, which is something you mentioned when you were talking about your life's work. In order to set the framework for our discussion and just to make sure that we're all on the same page about what resilience means, how do you define it? Well, a lot of times I think we have looked at resilience and we still do, right? We see a lot of athletes being out talking about resilience 
with this sort of like athlete's mindset, going to corporate and inspiring people to look at resilience as, as this fit performance type of approach. And I think that's part of it for sure. But I also think that resilience is really about being in right relationship with ourselves from an emotional perspective, from a mental perspective, meaning that we become more flexible. We become more adaptable. So for me, resilience isn't to push harder. For me, resilience is to really be a lot more asking questions and seeing how can we move forward. This sense of adaptability and flexibility, I think, is what creates resilience because it allows us to continue to find a way forward rather than just pushing through and keep working harder, which is often what we see today when people are like, oh, I need more resilience. I need more more um, performance. It's very often confused with just working harder, pushing harder, and almost negating ourselves and dismissing our human needs rather than integrating our human needs and using nourishing our human needs, our body's need for nourishment, our body's need for fuel, and our emotional and mental needs for belonging, feeling safe, and engaging with other people and feeling that we can contribute. Those are the things that create resilience because those are the things that keeps engaging us. And that is really what resilience is, is this continued engagement and adaptability and flexibility in, in, in my mind. Well, and resilience has been getting a lot of airplay over the past couple of years, particularly as discussions about things like EQ and mindfulness become more ubiquitous, as we were just talking about. So how does resilience tie into things like EQ and mindfulness? And why do you think people are a lot more aware of resilience now than they were before? I think we are more aware of it now because we realize that I think we've been thinking that this is just for a period of time that we have to push so hard and work so hard, like as if things are going to get better, right? I think we have this idea that, oh, I just got to get through this and things will get better. And then a new challenge comes along and it's like, oh, okay, I just got to get through this and things will get better. And I think we're probably realizing that things are continuously changing because that is what life is, is that it's continuous change. But it's not necessarily that there's this peaceful thing on the other side of this project or this trauma or this difficulty or this challenge or this deadline. It keeps going. And it's not going to let up, so to speak, because life is what life is. And I think our interpretation or our perspective on like, oh, happiness is something we can achieve. It's out there somewhere. And once we achieve it, we can hold on to it. And then we made it or success is something we achieve. And then we made it. I know that sounds immature, but I think underlying in our mindset is that expectation rather than when we talk about it in an intellectual way, we realize that that isn't how it is. But I think we indirectly assume that there's something wrong with us if that's not how it is. I hear that all the time. It's like, well, other people can do this. I can't. And I think that we don't see how much other people are working at it. It's a little bit like the overnight success that took 10 years in the making, right? That's right. And you know, one thing I would like to ask you, and we can address it now or later, is as you were speaking, I, 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 I very much, you know, it very much resonated with me what you were saying. And I think a lot of people sort of have the mentality that once I get through this, it'll get better. And I think part of it is the need to believe that, right? So that people can continue 
to charge on. And I would imagine that one of the things that you counsel people on is how much of it is that you need to develop skills like resilience and flex that muscle to be able to develop a framework for approaching your everyday life better. And how much of it is, you know, when do you realize you've got to take a step back and say, I need to make some life changes because even though I'm doing what I can to be more resilient, life isn't working for me. Do you want to comment on that? Yes, I, I think what you're saying there is 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 very astute in that sense of we think it's going to get better, but actually really what's happening is that we get better. Interesting. I like looking at it from that perspective. You know, because we get past something and that's a lot of times what happens with trauma. And that's what I realized after my parents died. I was like, well, things aren't going to get better because they're not going to come back. Right. But I'm getting better at dealing with the loss. I'm getting better at dealing with a new reality. I'm finding my sea legs again or whatever you want to, what kind of legs they are. But it's this idea that I've been on rocky ground for a while, but I'm getting better at this flexibility and adaptability of living in this new changed world. So it's not that the world changed, it's that I changed. I got better at it, not it. And I think it's the same thing with projects at work. The projects aren't changing, we're just learning how to be better at resolving the problems. We get more experience, we trust ourselves better, we have a more positive outlook because the more we are able to get through something, the more we realize that we are able to get through something. And we can start looking at it, we having trust in ourselves. Because a lot of times, I think part of what, what makes us lose hope, which is part of resilience, hope is a really big part of resilience, right? And what has us, have us lose hope is that we don't trust ourselves being able to get through it. But if we can start looking at, well, I have hope because I know that I'll figure out how to get through. I have that trust in myself. Then it has a new meaning. And then resilience starts having a looking for how to get through. So for me, resilience and EQ and mindfulness is very much about don't ask if I'm going to get through. Ask how I'm going to get through. And now we're starting to then say, okay, how do I best do this? What do I need so that I can? And that's part of of EQ, it's part of mindfulness, is to really keep wondering about it, keep being curious about it, keep asking questions about how do I get through. And if we keep asking how, we're going to come up with the answers because that's how our unconscious mind works. And if we think about resilience as being a lot more about how we use our unconscious mind rather than how we just keep bullying through by using our conscious mind, also sometimes called willpower. See, I don't actually believe in willpower, I believe in love power means that we need passion and purpose to keep moving forward, at least in a sustainable way. That's absolutely right. Excellent. I'm sure we're going to unpack this more as we go on. Let's take a closer look at the different facets of resilience. We've explored some of them already. You've referenced the unconscious mind. Many times people frame discussions about resilience along the physical, emotional, and mental lines. How do you define the different facets of resilience? I do also define them as physical, emotional, mental. So physical is that we actually feed and fuel our bodies so that we have sustained energy all day long. If we don't have our more or less consistent three meals a day, we are running on empty. If we don't drink water, if we don't take micro breaks every 45 to 90 minutes, we don't reset the nervous system. And we just keep 
pushing through instead of supporting ourselves in keep going. There's a big difference. So if we support ourselves so that we can keep going, it's different than I'm just going to deny my body's needs and keep pushing through when we then end up at the end of the day completely fatigued and exhausted. And that then feels like we have no more resilience left rather than we still have that sense of consciousness and, and awareness and kindness when we walk in the door at home, right? Instead of breaking down and being like, I don't want to talk to anybody and whoever crosses my path, I'm just irritable and, or, or we sit down on the couch and, and bury ourselves in either too much alcohol or ice cream or both, like movies, whatever it is, because we really, bro- we broke, we, we broke it down at the end of the day, instead of still having energy, which is basically what resilience is, is to keep supporting ourselves all day long so that we keep having energy all day long. That's a big part of it, the physical Pete. And if we don't take care of our physical human needs, we don't actually have access to really properly nourishing our emotional and mental needs. Because when we're running on survival mode, our cortisol levels go high and we just we act on instinct rather than asking better questions, engage with other people, and actually really choose how to act we react instead. We're not driven by motivation and and inspiration. We're driven by instinct and we do what we always done. That was part of what we talked about in our previous podcast that you and I had together. That was a big part of our conversation then was exactly like what happens when we don't actually look at our human needs all day long. And it starts with the physical needs of just basically having food, water, and rest. So I I think that it's really important for us to just take a second to refresh the recollection of our listeners who did hear our last interview. And then for those who didn't have the opportunity to, to talk about what physically it feels like to be running on too much cortisol and, you know, the, the adrenaline rush that just keeps going. Can you just remind our listeners for those who heard our, our last podcast and just let those who did not have the opportunity to hear it just talk about for for a minute sort of the the long-term potential damaging effects of running that hard without a release yes so when our cortisol levels go high we sort of have tunnel vision we just look for how to reach the goal rather than how to reach the goal we are running as if we are on being chased because that is how the body understands survival mode is that we're in danger. So not only does our perspective become what's not working rather than how to make it work, but we also have a high anxiety level and stress level in our bodies because we're basically feeling like something's wrong all the time. And what we also talked about at the time was as, as lawyers, you kind of, you know, you, your, your job is to look for what might go wrong. So it's a double whammy when you already are supposed to look for what might go wrong. And then your instinct also is that everything might go wrong. And it's just the double whammy of survival mode instinct here and and cortisol levels go high. And and it starts wearing on us emotionally and mentally, physically as well, because it causes high inflammation in the body. And we see a lot more anxiety and depression from high cortisol levels, partly because we're just getting wired into thinking that nothing is working. And then when we finally reach whatever goal at the end of the day, we're just basically coming down from the adrenaline high, which had us keep going 
That's why people can say, oh, I'm not hungry all day. It's like, right, because you're running on adrenaline. Just like as if a tiger was chasing you, there's no way you're going to stop and smell the roses or eat the berries or pick the, pick, pick the flowers. Like there's no way you're going to do that. So of course, when your cortisol levels and your adrenaline is so high all day, no, you're not hungry. That doesn't mean that you're not hungry. It means your body shut down the information that you need fuel. And that's part of the survival mode. It shuts down the information system because all your body needs you to do is get through safely. But safely means keep going in this case. Safely doesn't mean healthy in this case. Well, and being in that mode makes it, as you noted, extraordinarily difficult to be able to exhibit such traits as resilience. And, you know, I'm sure that on a future podcast, we will revisit this in more detail, but that was very, very helpful. Turning to how resilience is defined and factors that go into what constitutes resilience, the American Psychological Association has said there are several things that go into resilience, including the capacity to make realistic plans and take steps to carry them out, a positive view of yourself and confidence in your strengths and abilities, skills in communication and problem solving, and the capacity to manage strong feelings and impulses. You've touched on facets of a couple of these. Do you agree that this is the right way to break it down? And do you have any comments on any of these different factors? Yes, I do think that this is a good way to break it down. I don't know if it's the right way to break it down, but it is a good way to break it down <laughs> um, in that sense, because I do think that the, the the physical resilience is part of it in terms of feeling physically supported. I do think we need that because if not, we do not have the skills in communication and problem solving, as you said before as well, as we talked about in our last podcast as well, is because we can't access our human skills when we're under cortisol high and adrenaline rush. So I do think that the communication and problem solving is a way for us to keep finding a way forward, as we talked about before too. Now, I want to touch on the capacity to manage strong feelings and impulses, because I think that one of the things that we often see when we are under stress and we feel under pressure and we feel under under the gun, so to speak, or under that survival mode, is that we react from a place of fear. And those are very often the strong feelings and emotions and impulses that come up when we're under stress is because we react because of fear. And if we have the resilience to pause for a moment and notice the gap between feeling how we feel, like what is that felt sense in our bodies right now, And then having that pause, that gap that makes us choose how to act on those feelings and impulses and really asking, is this what I need right now? Is this what the right way forward is? Do I have all the information that I need so that I can make the right choice here? Because a lot of time when we're on push-push mode, as I call it, we don't stop, pause, and wonder if this is the right choice going forward, as, as I mentioned before as well. And so I think the capacity to manage strong feelings and emotions is mostly coming from this reactionary way that happens when we think that we just have to keep pushing harder. We might tend to feel that we use anger to do so. And anger really comes from a sense of fear as well. So one question, and this has come up quite a bit, and I've had conversations with people 
over the years about this, because I think this is an important point about, you know, I guess trying to recognize when you are coming from a place of fear and trying to be self-aware and trying to figure out why you feel that pit in your stomach, for example, you know, sometimes it's a fear-based reaction, but sometimes it's your body telling you there's something wrong here, proceed with caution. Do you have any advice for our listeners as to how to best discern between when that pit in your stomach or the racing heart may be a fear-based reaction versus when it's your body telling you there's something wrong here and you need to be aware of it? Yes, and I think it's a really very, very fine balance between just reacting to something versus pausing and looking at it as what's real and what is imagined right now. I think a lot of times we can, if we learn to pause and just really notice, wait a minute, how am I right now? There's fear in my body. There's anxiety in my body. There's that pit in my stomach. What do I need to pay attention to right now? Asking that question, wondering if something is out of order before we react rather than just protecting ourselves, which is often what happens when we're under fear, is a protection type of reaction that we do. We lash out at others perhaps, or we retreat or we hide instead of asking more questions. And I think in that moment, the real solution here is to learn how to use that gap, that pause, go inward and just say, what's going on here? Is this real or is it me imagining that something might go wrong? Maybe there's an old story in our head that this is what always happens to me or this is how this typically goes and really asking, well, what is this current situation? Let me just take a closer look. So it's a, it's a very fine balance between understanding whether you are in the, in the fact of what's here right now, what is facing me right now, and is this a potential problem? Is this fine balance between using experience versus getting stuck in a story that may not be a narrative that helps us solve the problem right now? Does that make sense in the narrative part? Because I can expand on that a little bit because it's it can be hard to understand what I really mean by that. Yeah, I, I do think it um, makes sense to take a minute or two for you to to expand on that because I do I do understand what you mean. I think the narrative is really the story that we tell ourselves as we're experiencing life, right? About the why behind what happens when a lot of times there is no why. It's what happens and we make up a story or a narrative about why it happened. Yeah, or it can't be a narrative about who we are, what we deserve, what is possible for us. You know, I, I tend to tell a story about how my mother believed that she was not worthy of love, she was not wanted, that she was a mistake because she was an illegitimate child, which is what you call someone in 1936 who's born out of wedlock. And so she engaged with herself. She took care of herself relative to that story. And she engaged with the people around her based on believing that she wasn't worthy. So not only does she, did she show up in focusing on being perfect, but she also showed up believing that she was not good enough to be, to be of value. So she overextended herself continuously. She thought of everyone else before, before herself. 
And so she became sort of like an exhausted giver, but never felt like she could get her own needs met. And so that was because of the narrative she had about who she was. And she never actually asked what the real story was. She was just really angry at her mother for that Saturday night incident. And the reality is we don't even know if it was a Saturday night. So I asked my grandmother after my mother died. And as it turns out, my mother was a love child. My mother was loved and adored by her mother and wanted. It was the great grandfather that was sending my grandmother away in shame to give birth and was going to adopt her away. And my grandmother begged to keep her. She wanted to marry the man, but he was too old and she was too young. So they weren't allowed to marry. So all of this that my mother believed about herself wasn't true, but she never stopped to check. The story I'm telling myself is that really the story that that I deserve to be telling myself because there's the facts of what has happened. And you know that as a lawyer, you know, there's facts. And then there's our version of our experience of what happened. And we can get stuck in that same narrative. That's very true. That's an amazing story. And I think it really illustrates exactly what we're talking about and the importance of taking a step back and realizing when we're engaging in that kind of storytelling or narrative and how sometimes it can really work against us. So it's hard to believe that we're actually about to wind up the first segment of our conversation today. Do you have any final thoughts and where can our listeners find you? I do. I think the idea that we pause is such a small habit that we can start practicing. And we can start practicing it just by noticing what's right there in front of us. That's a good way to practice pausing. We can start just asking a simple question, how do I feel right now? And what do I need so that I can, whatever it is that we need to do right now, it could be, how do I feel right now? Oh, I'm a little bit foggy. Do I need a little bit of water maybe? It could be that simple. It could be, oh, I need to just actually pause for a moment and, and take a breath and look at something else because I've been staring at this document for hours and it like I can't see the numbers or the, 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 the text anymore. Like all those little things that we can just pause for a moment, check in. That is one thing that we can start practicing in small little ways, and it will help change how we engage with ourselves and others. It'll help us change our health and and our resilience altogether, and it will help us become more mindful altogether as well. And people can find me on my blog, which has a lot of free content, including a mindfulness sort of shift habit free program, and that's at pathforlife.com. And for coaching and workshops and speaking engagements, you can find me at janetponi.com, which you can also access from Path for Life. And then I have an online program as well for becoming more mindful, changing our habits and learning what our bodies need to be at their best. And that is at selfnourishment.com, which again is the online program. You can also access that from pathforlife.com. Jeanette, I've really enjoyed the first part of our conversation. I wish we could spend the whole day talking, um, but, unfortunately, <laughs> but unfortunately, we have an hour and I can't wait for the second part of our conversation. Fantastic. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Paradigm Shift. We hope that you've enjoyed the first installment of our incredible conversation with Jeanette Bronet about the importance of resilience. We hope that you will join us for the second part of our conversation next week. I'm your host, Christina Martini. Please look for our weekly episodes every Tuesday. Thanks for listening. 
If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please visit us at www.paradigmshiftshow.com. We would love to hear from you. Please look for new episodes of Paradigm Shift every Tuesday.